God loves me. Well, that would be a good day indeed. If my eyes could fully see, if my heart could fully perceive and embrace the love of God for me, oh, how my thoughts would be lifted to better places. Oh, how my zeal would be kindled. How my devotion would be renewed. Oh, how the joy of my heart would overflow. And how my words and my deeds would shine forth the divine love of God to others. If I could begin this new year with the crystal clear certainty that God indeed loves me. God has loved me, and God has loved you. I have loved you, says the Lord, right here in Malachi 1, verse 2. God loves you. It's hardly a controversial theological statement. If you have this bumper sticker, God loves you, you're probably not at great risk of getting your car keyed, at least because of the bumper sticker. It's not a shocking statement. But to whom is God speaking in this text? Who is the you when God says, I have loved you? Verse 1 tells us, The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. To Israel. To Israel? In Malachi's day? Yes, there had once been a people of Israel. Israel was the name which God gave to Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. And the descendants of Jacob and his 12 sons would become the B'nai Yisrael, the sons of Israel, a redeemed and holy people brought forth out of Egypt by God's mighty hand, led and sustained through the wilderness, made heirs of the promises of God to Abraham, planted in the land, given a wise and gracious king after God's own heart, King David, delivered from their enemies, dwelling in the very presence of God, Israel, the kingdom of Israel, the people of Israel. But history had chipped away and chipped away. Real life in the real world had gnawed and grasped at Israel. As the centuries marched on, the kingdom of Israel was torn in two, and by turns, each was destroyed. The Assyrians erased the northern kingdom from history. The Babylonians came and destroyed the southern kingdom, Judah, led the people of Judah and Jerusalem, king and people, off into exile. When the people were allowed to return, after 70 years of exile, there had been great joy and great hope at first. The temple of God, destroyed by the Babylonians, was rebuilt. A descendant of David named Zerubbabel was appointed governor in the land. Joshua became a new high priest and resumed the ministrations of the priesthood in Jerusalem. God sent prophets to the people, Haggai and Zechariah, and they made stirring promises to the people. Though there were many challenges, hope revived, at least for a time. But Malachi prophesies 
a generation or two after the return from exile. And by Malachi's day, hope has shriveled. No more word of Zerubbabel, the governor, and we aren't sure what has happened to him. No more Joshua, the high priest. The new temple, in truth, seemed a pretty weak imitation of the former. The economy was horribly depressed. Other groups had come crowding in to Judah during the time of exile, and there was now constant friction between the people of Jerusalem and them. Once proud Israel was now tiny Yehud, one of 20 provinces in the not-so-important district of beyond the river in the Persian Empire. Life had become difficult, dreary, and humiliating. I guess they grew a little cynical. And Israel, that dream of the past, that dream of the prophets, that was no more. It didn't exist. It seemed like just a fairy tale. Yet here speaks Yahweh through Malachi, and his oracle is not addressed to Yehud, it is not addressed to the men of Jerusalem. Rather, God addresses his covenant people here in verse 1 and again in verse 5 as Israel. God has greater things in view than the eyes of the people can see. It is to Israel, to the covenant people, the people of the promise that Malachi declares, I have loved you, says the Lord. But the text then takes a very abrupt turn in the next line. But you say, how have you loved us? You probably best not try this line with your husband or with your wife at home the next time they say they love you. How have you loved me? But that was indeed the question that was plaguing the people of Jerusalem in Malachi's day, post-exile. They lived in a land, in a political situation, in an economic situation, in a religious situation where every day their eyes told them, God has forsaken us. God does not favor Jacob. God does not love us. The more the people questioned the love of God, the more ruinous their hearts and their lives became, leading to all forms of unfaithfulness, which Malachi will treat later in his book. And so God, at the outset here, in Malachi 1, addresses their cynicism head-on. The people retort, how have you loved us? And Yahweh responds, is not Esau Jacob's brother? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. God has loved Israel. He has loved Jacob's descendants. And the evidence? Jacob remains. Israel endures. They have returned from exile, and their land will be restored. But in contrast, Yahweh has laid waste the descendants of Esau, Jacob's own brother. God has turned their land, the land of Edom, into a wilderness. Historians aren't sure just what happened to Edom during this period, but somehow their fate was reversed in big ways during the time of exile. 
When Judah was taken into Babylonian exile, Edom seemed to emerge unscathed, laughing and mocking at their relatives' demise. But sometime between then and Malachi's day, Edom lost its traditional territory. Its major cities had been taken from them or destroyed, and the survivors of Edom were now living just to the south of Judah in a little province called Idumea. I have loved you, declares Yahweh. Compare your fate to that of Edom, the descendants of Esau. Yahweh certainly did not have to favor Jacob. In fact, it would have been just as natural for him to choose Esau, even more natural as the older brother. But from birth, Yahweh did, in fact, love and favor Jacob right up to the present day. And take a look at verse 4 on the handout. Verse 4 makes clear that Edom cannot and will not undo what Yahweh has done. Even though Edom may say, we are shattered, but we will rebuild, thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will tear down. Again, the contrast between what God says and what the people say. In the opening verses, the people contradict the words of the Lord. Here the Lord sets straight the words of Edom. But notice also here that Edom is not rejected by God arbitrarily. Rather, Yahweh hates Esau because of wickedness. They will be called the wicked country, Yahweh says. Long ago, Esau had despised Yahweh's covenant promises, trading his birthright to Jacob for soup. Later, Esau's descendants, the people of Edom, had wronged the people of Israel repeatedly. They denied Israel passage through their land when Israel came up from Egypt. When the Edomites saw Judah being destroyed by the Babylonians, besieged, starving, they stood by watching, gloating, rejoicing, and boasting even handing over fugitives from Judah to the Babylonians. When the people of Judah went off into exile, the Edomites streamed in, taking advantage of the opportunity, staking claim to the southern part of Judah's territory. Therefore, they will be called the wicked country. And in a wonderfully poetic line, they will also be called Ha'am Asher Za'am Yahweh Ad Olam the people with whom Yahweh is angry forever. Now, how does all this prove Yahweh's love for Israel? Does a God hates Esau bumper sticker really belong next to a God loves you bumper sticker? Well, yes. Judgment on Edom counts as Yahweh's love and favor for Jacob for two reasons. First, because Edom, their enemy and persecutor, has been shattered. And second, because by contrast with Edom, Yehud remains. The remnant of Israel remains. She is humbled. She is lowly. She is struggling. But unlike Edom, she will endure. 
And if Edom will be known as the people with whom Yahweh is angry forever, Ad Olam, then this implies that Yahweh's favor and love for Jacob will also be Ad Olam, forever. Verse 5 reads, Your own eyes will see this, and you will say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. With their eyes fixed on Yahweh's faithful acts, his preservation of his people through his grace, his judgment of wickedness in his righteousness, with their eyes fixed on Yahweh's faithful acts, the people will sing a different song than they did in verse 2. They will no longer say, How have you loved us? Rather, Malachi prophesies, You will say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. The statement here in verse 5 is perhaps better translated to echo the same Hebrew word which is found in verse 4. Great is the Lord over the country of Israel. Edom will be called the wicked country or the wicked territory, Gavul. But the territory of Israel, the Gavul Yisrael, will be confessed as the country where Yahweh is great. And that is our text, spoken by Malachi to Israel. So what does all this mean for you on the first day of classes here at Concordia Seminary? My friends, our eyes have seen what Yahweh declares here. From Malachi's day, history ran on. Edom's homeland was never regained, but Israel struggling under Persian rule, and then under the Greeks, and then under the Romans, Israel did indeed remain. God preserved them. He kept on loving Jacob. In the fullness of time, God sent his truly elect and beloved son, Jesus. In Jesus' flesh, God judged human wickedness, the wickedness of Edom and all the nations, for Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Jesus' cross, God's hatred of sin was made plain. Yet Jesus was also the son of Abraham, the son of Jacob, Israel, heir of the promises. In Jesus' tomb, the future of Israel, the fate of Israel, was laid. But God has loved Jacob. God has preserved his Israel, for he has raised Jesus Christ from death. Great is the Lord over the country of Israel. Soon after Jesus' resurrection, historical Judah was destroyed by the Romans, scattered to the reaches of the earth. But in Jesus Christ, and in all those joined to him by the Spirit, by baptism, by faith, in Jesus Christ, God's Israel continues, the church on earth. Struggling? Yes. Disillusioned? At times. Cynical? Lord, forgive us, it is true. But preserved, maintained, guarded, and kept 
by God's gracious love for Jacob, God's gracious love for his son, Jesus. The church continues. Despite all the predictions of her demise, despite all the hand-wringing and the worries, the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Here we are. Here we are. The Christian church, the Israel of God. The church continues, not by a fluke of history, but because of the love of God for Judah because of the love of God for Jesus Christ, because of the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. I have loved you, says the Lord. God grant that his sustaining love color every moment of the year that lies ahead of us. I have loved you, says the Lord. And we respond, how you have loved us. Amen.